I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Peter Uline. Peter, you're back after it's just over two years since we last spoke. Um, that sounds crazy to me. I think, you know, we've had COVID in there and things like that. It's kind of gone quite quickly. But uh, the last time we catched up, or caught up, should I say, was, um, you know, we talked about your career as a whole, whereas now it's kind of just talking about the, the sort of current day things, how things have changed. And there's been quite a few changes in your life since we last spoke. Yeah, yeah, there's been a few. Um... I feel like the last time we spoke, I don't think I've taken a week off either. Since <laughs> like once, once golf started back up for COVID, like it's been nonstop. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I've been married. I think when I talked, I've been married. But now we have a little kid. Uh, he's five months, Tucker. So that's a pretty life changing thing that happened to me uh, early this year Jan- on January 9th. and um, and then obviously the big one that's changed is. Uh, <laughs> With with live going on, I, you know I joined I joined live, so that's another thing that changed. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been a kind of a crazy hectic last. I guess it will probably be last five months really since little man came into the world, and um, yeah, it's been nonstop. But it's been fun. It's exciting. It's hard. It's 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 tough. I mean, uh, we're just starting to uh, I think it's night train or night feed or night training. I think it's what it's called for what my wife was saying. It's like you know you kind of we're trying to train him to sleep through the night now. And obviously he cries a little bit, but we have to kind of late. We just kind of let him cry and have to, he has to teach to soothe himself. So that's, that's been difficult. Um, but no, it's been, it's been fun. It's, it's, it's been pretty awesome. And then obviously with this new venture, we're, we're pretty excited about it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, look, that, that is such a, a life changing thing. And, you know, obviously I spoke to you, you know, when it happened and, and congratulated yeah. you on that. And, you know, you, you spoke to me straight away, which was great. And, you yeah. know, it was, how much does that impact one year life off the course and then on your, on the course? Because I imagine you can kind of schedule around it for practice and playing and things as you normally would, because, you know, that just breaks up life and routines in general, right? It's just something you've trained to do your whole life. But I imagine it's kind of like your own personal life that it's kind of changes things a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough, really. I mean, wife and I really just kind of went on our first date the other night this week since we had since we'd have them. So it's just it's tough because, you know, it, it's hard for my wife. It's it's very difficult for women just in general who give birth. Like it's it's a job. It's nonstop. It's 24 seven. And, you know, for for me, it's like when I'm here, it's like I literally just trying to make sure she's happy. She's content. Like it's like you know, I try and help out a lot more around the house when I can. And, uh, for me, when it comes to like practicing and working out, it's, it's like, I kind of got to do a bit more of like a crash course in a shorter amount of time. And just so I can kind of get home and help, help her around the house and help with little man. So, um, that kind of stuff's changed and, um, moved, I guess the last time, yeah, I guess the last time we spoke, I was at a different house, moved into this a new house and, put a little put a simulator room in in uh in the other garage and so i've been able to at least kind of i can hit balls at home now for a couple hours if i need to and or if the weather gets bad so that that's been a huge improvement for me just so i don't have to drive to go practice and stuff i can just literally just hit it home which is nice and um that that helps when 
when baby dude's taking a nap or something, I can go hit balls <laughs> for 45 minutes or whatever and just kind of just kind of get loose or stay loose and do stuff like that. So it's nice. Yeah, I remember like it was it was COVID when we spoke, and that was one of your concerns is that you had to sort of go out and, and practice and. You know, there was always a little bit of a frowned upon thing about that and doing things like that, but you didn't have anywhere to practice and train, right? You, you know, you wanted a simulator at the time, didn't have one, and it's not like you could have prepared for something like that, so it wasn't there. So yeah. I imagine that does make you think and, and maybe prompted some of the change in life and stuff, but does it does it change your perspective on the golf course? Like, I mean, I, I feel like you were quite chilled anyway. Like, I feel you're always quite in control of your emotions, and I never felt like you sort of lost temper and looked at things too badly, but does it make it easier to kind of play under pressure and things like that yeah there, people always kind of say like there's that like that baby hangover or some guys play well i i don't i don't know like for me i'm very yeah i'm very chill in the course but i'm also pretty happy usually so like <laughs> like having little man didn't like i mean i'm still happy like i'm thrilled he's here i love that he's here but it's like i'm still i was still pretty chilled and happy on the golf course to begin with so um no it didn't really i mean you know, it's like one of those things, I, you know, if you do have a hard shot or, or something bad happens, it's like I can look down at, you know, I have a picture of my yardage book. I can look down at him and just kind of smile and just, and then just move on to the next shot. So that helps. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those, I think it's one of those cliche questions, right? Everyone sort of asks when, you, when you've, when you yeah. know, got a new baby in that, you know, oh, suddenly you're going to yeah. get a baby bump and things are going to get easier. But, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think the most important thing is, is kind of what you said is that like, maybe it just makes you change your attitudes about what you have to do when you're home. And like, you know, you have to help out, you know, help Chelsea, you know, that was the first thing you said to me, right? It was like, you know, that is just, that's your job now. It's just to come home, take the load off. Make, you know, yeah. I suppose it almost gives you a, a secondary job to the one that you're, you're constantly pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, especially because we have, you know, three dogs as well. So it's like, wake up in the morning and, you know, I'll, I'll help with them. And then, um, so like I'll try and take them to go, just go to Starbucks so I can kind of give her a little bit of a break. You know, that's kind of what we're trying to do and, you know, make sure she's always kind of relaxed and in and, and good mood and happy wife, happy life, you know? Yeah. That's always, it's always the time. Um, since you, you know, since we, you were on last, you've actually won on the, the corn ferry, you won the MGM resorts. Uh, that was by four shots. Um, how was that? Because it, you know, it had been a little while since you got your last win, and you know, I think you were kind of used to, especially when you're on the European tour. It kind of felt like you were always sort of up there. You had a couple of wins, and you're kind of used to being in that contention. And did did it feel overdue? Did it did it feel like you were just on track? I mean, you you were pretty relaxed about it when we spoke before, and you know, you felt like you were in a good place and it was going to come, and and it it did kind of shortly after we spoke. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to it was nice to wait. It, it, it was nice to kind of play some corn ferry events, and I felt like I played pretty well. Like I had a, I had a win and a couple seconds, three seconds, I had three seconds, uh, and a win and a couple years stretch. So, and uh, but yeah, I was in contention a lot. So it was kind of nice to kind of play some corn events and and kind of get the juices flowing a little bit. Um, felt felt like I played solid that week in Vegas. It was windy. It was really hard. Um, so. And not a typical corn fairy event where you got to shoot 25 under like it actually was like a you know like it was like a 12 under or something like that or 16 or 15 under or whatever it was and so it was it was tough it was windy and um i just played solid all the way to go to drive i remember driving at unbelievable on sunday and chipped in a couple times and just kind of it was just kind of my week really and um and then kept playing well i had a couple back-to-back seconds at this this uh 
a place in Louisiana. Um, and then I had a runner up in Utah as well. So I, I, I had some good weeks and I liked playing on the corn. It was, it was nice to kind of, like I said, get in contention and stuff and, and, uh, gave me a nice avenue to kind of get my card back that way. Yeah. And you know, I think, I think we're finding out now just how hard it is to sort of graduate off that tour. I think before it was maybe not looked at as so, I don't know if it wasn't looked at as difficult. It was always difficult, but there was, there was the, you know, the Q school and there was different weight and routes to get onto it. But ever since sort of COVID, it always felt really, really difficult. Like the, the, the 25, the finals 25, did, did you find yeah. it harder? Yeah. I mean, because of COVID, they, they ran it for a two year schedule. Yeah. So, you know, they, they basically had a, they had two years so guys played like 40 events whereas after i won i wasn't allowed as a pga tour member i wasn't allowed to play corn Ferry events if i was in a pga tour event so before i'd won like i finished second in louisiana and i was like man instead of going to dominican republic like let me go next week there's an it's in louisiana again i was like i'll just go play this one next week and my agent was like no dude you can't do that you're not a member of the corn fairy tour you're a member of the pga tour so once i won then all of a sudden i had i was able to have the choice so i think at the time i was like you know a buck 50th on the fedex but i was with a win in a second even though i'd only played like 12 events compared to the 30 that everyone else had played i think i was kind of close to that top 25 so i was like all right well i just played like i ended up playing like 21 weeks in a row between corn ferry and pga tour events so um and it didn't really even work out for me i still had to get my card back through uh the corn finals but um yeah i mean after i won at least i got to choose which side i could play which made it a little bit easier but um yeah, no, it was it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was tough. I mean, the, and the guys that you see who graduated because it because it was a two year uh, two year window that the the best players graduated. Yeah, really. I mean, you give you give great you know you give guys like Zalatoris, Cam Young, Davis Riley. You give those boys two years, they're gonna get off that tour. And you know, so the so the the top boys graduated, and you know it. That's why it feels like. That, you know that that felt like that class feels particularly strong is because when you have you know two years compared to the one year the one year you might have you know three four five guys whereas that you know when you give them two years you're gonna have 10 11 12 guys that are gonna gonna make it out on tour so um it was tough i mean it was it was hard but you know looking back on it, it was fun you know playing a lot of golf and playing pretty well and just kind of just doing it that way which was neat yeah, I think I think that's a really good point because there there has been talk of like you know we've never seen such a strong Cornfairy Tour class and they're so much more prepared now and it's like well I don't not necessarily that they are because if they'd only had that one season like when I was speaking to I, I had Will on uh, shortly after you came on and you know he he hadn't he wasn't right in that stretch of form then he was he was had a couple of seconds by that point and things like that but afterwards you really got a chance to put the foot down and and like you say you do then get the you know the better players graduate but i think i think one of the things is like it's always been this thing where like you always expect european tour regulars to struggle coming over to the the pga tour when they when they get their cards and i've always looked at kind of like aaron rye this year and thinking like how's he gonna cope he's actually you know committed himself full time as opposed to trying to sort of dip in and out and i think that was kind of the, the smart move and 
I mean, we've spoken about players before that have, have you know, tried to go through like the Cornfairy finals when they've played all year in Europe. Like that is just such a difficult thing to do when, when you're not being sort of used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, I, I don't, I don't think it's possible to do both tours unless you're exempt. Yeah. Like it's just really, it's, it's just hard. It's just flat out difficult. Um, you know, if you're exempt, I think like Lipsky was exempt on the European tour. So he could basically, you know, focus mainly on the PGA tour this year. Um, but I'm not entirely sure when his numbers going to run out in Europe or if he needs to play or whatnot. Um, so, you know, once all of a sudden he's like, you know, if he's got to play both tours or he wants to maintain both memberships and then it becomes difficult because you're obviously, you know, golf's tough. Like you can not play well and all of a sudden he's going to lose his, you know, you, you, you could theoretically lose your job on both tours um, if you don't play it right. So, um, yeah, Aaron, I think Aaron's, Aaron's had a really solid year, I believe. And so he's, he's done it right. He's, he's stayed stateside mainly and, and he, and he's played solid, but you know, it seems like he's just been focusing on the, on the PGA, on the PGA tour, probably until he has to go back and play the Scottish or something. But yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing. Like he's actually just fully committed to it. And I thought I didn't really yeah. expect him to do that. I thought with his start of game, he would kind of go to kind of try and play both and it didn't work out. And the, eventually he's done what, what suited him. So that was good. Um, what, what would you say is the main difference between the Corman Ferry tour and the PGA tour in terms of getting in contention? Because as we just spoken and touched upon there, like the, the, the class of player is obviously different, but it's pretty razor thin, right? You know, especially on a, on a decent year. Yeah, I mean, I've basically sucked this year on the PGA Tour. So whereas, I, you know, I drop down and play some corn events, I play great. So I don't know. I'd love to know the difference. And maybe you can tell me and then maybe <laughs> I can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just... Do you think it could be that, like, you know, just the mentality of not going up against the top 50 guys each week? I mean, you, you know the players that you're playing are good. You know they can be at the same level and place at level. Is it is it a mentality thing like that? Yeah, I'd be, yeah, probably. You know, you go from feeling like you're, you know, you're a big fish in a small pond uh, to a little fish in a big pond. You know, that kind of that kind of brings it up. And it's like I'm very much for me personally it's like i gotta see myself kind of or it's like i gotta do it as weird as that sounds in order to believe that i can do it and so um knowing that i've done it a few times on the corn or at least been in contention that that makes it all the more i don't want to say easier but that makes it a little bit more comfortable and whereas on the pj tour i think i've had a couple top fives and it's just you know just really hasn't really clicked for me out there and um you know it, it but that's kind of, I mean, that was another part of the, part of the reason why I decided to do what I did and, um, you know, strictly, strictly business. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go into that then, because I'm sure, you know, people want to talk about that yeah. and, you know, <laughs> I obviously want to talk about that, but when does that opportunity come about and, and how long does that decision take? Because it's not an easy one, or it could be an easy one, you, you know, you, you'll tell me, but you know, when does it start coming about? When do you hear things? When do you start realizing that you're going to do it? So for me, I, I basically knew I was going to do it right away. Yeah. Um, like I, we had chatted and, you know, I, I before COVID, I was going to try, I was trying to find my way back onto the European tour. I was trying to, I'm going to call it the European tour, by the way, instead of DP World. Tour, I, just, I, I do every week, so I won't worry about it. Right, so it just flows naturally. Um, 
So I was trying to find a way back on there. We had some events lined up and I was going to jump back over, play, try and get my car back that way. And that was all pre-COVID and then COVID hit. And then obviously it went on the back burner. So I'd been looking for years to basically get back to playing internationally. Internationally is just what I'm more comfortable doing. It's I, I like playing. I like playing out of the country. I like traveling. That's just kind of what I'm passionate about. And so once this venture obviously came to started kind of started hearing the whispers about it and then all of a sudden starts getting real because they're getting guys involved and you know they're, they're signing some high profile guys kind of behind the scenes that have had success in ventures that they they've done and all of a sudden you're kind of hearing that it's real you're starting to hear players that are rumored and um so for me it was always something i was gonna do it just I just needed to kind of get my foot through the door, which was, you know, get in contact with them. And, you know, they, at the start, they didn't, they didn't reach out to me. I I don't think they knew I had any interest. And, um, but once I made it very clear, I was interested, then it pretty much flowed very, very seamlessly and, and, and effortlessly. So it just kind of, it just kind of fit really. Yeah. And I think, I think we'd, we'd spoken, earlier in the year is actually longer than, than I remember but I think at that point you didn't know or you couldn't say or but you know I think you'd sort of said to me you hadn't even sort of been in contact with anyone yet but you know that you know it, it shows how quickly things can evolve and I think that there was always this kind of approach that they were going to just target 50 guys and that was going to be their 50 guys and they were hoping to get all of those and it didn't play out that way and do you how does it make you feel when people say that like when it, when they're like okay they didn't get the guys that they wanted to get and and now they've just kind of got the field that they've got do you know like no, I don't personally think mm-hmm. like that but that is kind of what people say is that does that bother you no because at the end of the day it's a startup business yeah and, you know I understand that like you're not you're not gonna get you know the top fifty in the world guys aren't gonna leave right away like you don't know like there's just so much unknown that goes into essentially a startup and. You know, I, I personally don't I don't take offense to it at all. And, um, you know, for me personally, just kind of the last year or so, like every practice round or every time I had lunch, like I was talking to people about it. Yeah. Like I was like, hey, what do you guys know? Like, what have you heard? What What's this? And I just kept piling information on it and what their plans were. And um, so I kind of had an idea of what was what they were wanting to do, how they wanted to do it before I even met with them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I mean, any, any, obviously any startup, but it's no different than, you know, if there's a, you know, a startup basketball league, like they're going to try and talk to the top. Like, that's just what they're going to do. You know, I mean, you're not, you're not anything without the players really. And so, you know, I, I, I will say and there's already been a few announcements, but the field in Portland is going to be a heck of a lot different than what it was in London. So I think a lot of the guys were waiting to see what happened and then letting some boys take the bullets in the front line and then and then make their decisions. So. Yeah, and I think that was my point, right, is that like, or what I wanted to get to is that like that, that is just what everyone wants to do. No one wanted to be the first. Like, right. you know, DJ came out of a statement very early on, Bryson came out of a statement very early on and said they weren't going to do it. And yeah. they were they were pretty vague statements. I, I you know I was I was pretty much reading between the lines that that doesn't really mean anything. Um, 
you know, field took a lot of flack. So once those guys have taken, you know, some bullets, people can start talking and not be the first ones. And then, especially once the first week is done, I think like, like you've been a part of that yeah. and, and we'll go into that. But like, what part of you is, one, one you you thinking about, I guess you weren't really worried about the, the criticism that was likely to come your way, the, the questionings, that maybe wasn't uh, a thought for you. Was there any thought of like, is this going to be too good to be true and is it going to work out and am I going to get paid essentially? Um, yeah, I, I think once, once I kind of heard their business plan and what they want to do for the future and, and, you know, then I've, I heard some guys and contracts, how many years, you know, they have, they have, they have a 10 year plan, you know? And so like you sit there and the biggest, the biggest concern was, well, what happens if they quit in two years? Yeah it's like, all right, well, I mean, that's a legit concern. And, you know, but then when you talk to them and they have all these plans and what the future holds and schedules and stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, this is real, you know? And then, um, so that, that kind of goes to the back burner, but then you, you start thinking about what the PGA tour is going to do as a member. And you think of, you know, the risks of it. And then you, then you think of what the financial benefit of it could be entail and you kind of weigh it against each other um so that that adds in heavily to 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 the decision process and um for me it just came down to just being like you know at the end of the day i i hadn't played well in five years on tour um i i i'm passionate about traveling i'm passionate about playing golf in different all around the world and so for me it just was you know, I just wanted to be get back to be just kind of being happy, and that that you know, my wife and I talked about it. We just we felt like I just wasn't happy here in the states, playing in the states, just because I was struggling, and just you know, we just wanted to try something different. Um, you know, I mean, people people can say kind of whatever they want, but at the end of the day, it is you know, it it, it is it is a business decision, and um, you know, we we made the decision that was best for us, and um yeah that, that was that yeah i mean look, I, I think firstly people don't know that you're trying to go back to the european tour right like people don't don't know yeah. that that situation's happening so that's that's the first point i mean you sort of said that to me before and you know you said it again there and no no one knows that no one knows that that's your plan so if you just came out and said i want to have an international schedule people just say okay well that's just something you you've come up with because you think it sounds good right and you know that mm. that's just cynicism in the world right um, I think you're pretty open in saying that it's a business decision, it's a, a lifestyle decision, and you know, mm. I don't necessarily know how you can hold that against an individual. I think, I think my my main problem, and I've been very vocal in not not the tour, but like in support of players that are making decisions to go to the tour. I think it's very unfair to hold individuals accountable for uh, decisions that they're making based on. You know, a lifestyle change. Like, you know, I saw someone say that, like, why does Dustin Johnson need to sign for $150 million when he's earned $75 million? And I was like, well, he's earned $75 million being basically the best if top 10 the whole of his 15-year career. Um, yeah. And and you don't get all of that. It's not, it's not all... People don't understand the cost involved of... of you know, you don't just no. take $75 no. million to the bank and that's it, right? You know, you, you've got to pay people out of that and, and right. things like that. No, I get my my favorite comment. I saw a Brandel tweet 
you know, Tiger passed the billion dollar mark. Yeah. Great. You know, you look up Tiger's career earnings, it's 120 million. Yeah. And we're talking about the greatest player ever. Yeah. So that means he's made about $900 billion off golf course. I'm sorry, the guy who's finishing 60th on the FedEx ain't making a million dollars off the golf course. So, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, you know, it becomes strictly a financial decision. And, you know, uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 the talking point has been grow the game. I get it. You know, that, that was, that was made apparent. They wanted us to talk about it and I, and I get it, but the way, you know, that there's different ways about growing the game. There's different ways you can view it. You know, this new format could grow the game in a sense that someone who never really paid attention to golf before all of a sudden becomes enamored with a team. You know, if there's like an American team or a South African team, you know, or an Australian team or whatever, they become enamored with it and then they follow along loosely. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is now all of a sudden guys, at least in my position, who you know, financially now we're going to be in a better spot. And it's like, okay, well, what can I do to give back to the game? And it's like, well, w one thing I can do is, you know, I can help out with the first tee, give them some product down here or help out with an AJGA event. There's guys that sponsor AJGA events in the state. So like, you know, looking at it that way, it's like that to me would help grow the game. And the only reason why I'm able to do that is because now I'm being put in a, a financially better position to help. And so, you know, that that's one way I would say, you know, people could sit there and be like, well, it's not you're not growing the game, playing 54 holes and taking, you know, and doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, you no, know, but it's like locally or, you know, there are ways I can do it that I can help improve with like the first tee around here in, in, in Florida and things like that. So um, that's that's kind of one one way about it, I guess. But do you, um, do you agree with the notion that like this can kill the PGA Tour? Part of me, part of me wants, I, I want to say no. I, I like, granted, my goal when I turned pro wasn't, my goal in life was, I wasn't to be a PGA Tour member. Like, that was never something I was just, like, motivated by. Like, I, in my mind, PGA Tour is always going to be there. So it's like, it just wasn't something I was overly interested in when I turned pro. I was like, you know what, I want to go play the world. I want to go travel the world, play golf. Like, I, I love traveling, and that's what I'm passionate about. So, Part of me wants to say this will not kill the PGA Tour, but another part of me understands that, hey, like when you're going against an unlimited fund, it's tough. Like it really is. My my biggest concern is the European Tour. Yeah. I think the European Tour is going to be in a lot of trouble. And with playing International Series a couple weeks uh, weeks ago in Newcastle, I, I chatted to a few Asian Tour boys. And they basically said, like, the gloves are off. Like, we're going to go play in America. We're going to play in the UK. We're going to play in continental Europe. They're like, we don't really care where it is in the world. We're going to go play there. And it's like, damn, that's, you know, again, they have the backing of the PIF. And it's like, you know, if they're talking about doing this and then you kind of sit there with the European tour and their deal with the PGA tour was pretty damn bad. So you kind of worry about them first and foremost. And, 
I, I think the PGA Tour will forever be okay. They'll keep churning out guys like Willie Zalatoris, Cam Young, Scotty Scheffler. Like, they'll just keep churning those boys out out of college. So that's not yeah. a problem. Like, I, I think they'll forever be okay. But the European Tour is going to be, I think, for a, a little bit of a world to hurt unless they can kind of – unless Keith does something a little bit drastic. Um, so that, that, that to me is kind of the – the biggest fear is that the European tour might kind of disappear here shortly. Well, that so obviously you know I talk about this every week. I cover European tour and PJ tour events every week, and and the schedule has just been so bad for the European tour this year. Like no players have really been able to get into a run. Like you know you've seen guys hit like Victor Perez and Adrian Aus and that have hit good form, and then they've not been able to play for two or three weeks and. You know, the, the, the purses haven't been good. There hasn't seemingly been any benefit to the relationship so far, um, which I'm saying that, you know, it's they've got the Scottish Open coming up, which is going to be good for them. But to me, like the, the move for the European Tour is to actually let you guys play. Um, yeah, yeah. It's from a European Tour member perspective, uh, it's I, from the events that I've heard they're going to get, like they're going to get like the opposite field events. It's like, you know, the Barracudas, the Puerto Rico, Dominicans, like unless you win those, there's really no benefit to them. And so like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm having a tough time to see the benefit for the European tour guys. Whereas the PJ tour, from what I've heard, you know, they've obviously poached the Scottish, which, now half the members of the European tour are not going to get in. Um, I've heard that they're trying to pluck pretty much all the other Rolex series events. And it's like, damn, those are less opportunities for European tour players to get into those events. And it's like, you know, that's pretty, I don't know. That's tough. You know, that's, that's, that's a difficult situation. And, you know, then you hear the rumors that Pele or Keith was meeting with, meeting with guys from live and, whether or not he did, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, you kind of look at it in hindsight and be like, man, maybe maybe he shouldn't have been so, you know, maybe he shouldn't have merged with the PGA Tour. And if he merged with these guys, like, can imagine how big of, big of a, you know, how big the European Tour could have gotten. So, Well, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll speak to it a little bit more sort of from my end so that, you know, you don't have to because it's... To me, like the European Tour had a load of events in the Middle East and sort of that that, that was growing really well for them. They had a really strong set of events at the start of the year. They had the you know the Wentworth, they had Valderrama, I think it sort of sort of into the season that, that was really beneficial to them. And to your point, it's almost like the PGA Tour are taking advantage of that as opposed to actually helping them lift the strength of their weaker fields and. You know, like I, I looked at it like two weeks ago, like the Sadao Open in Belgium. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd have loved to play in Belgium. Like, you, you, yeah. Belgium's a great place for you to travel. And, you know, when you were 23, 24 and, you know, no responsibilities, that's a great thing for you to go and do, right? But when you then start trying to sell Sadao Open, at, at, you know, in your 30s with a, a young child and, and that sort of stuff, it, it becomes such a difficult sell. Like, you know, people yeah. aren't going to come and want to play in it. So they're going to come and want to play... Wentworth, and they're going to come and want to play the DP World Tour final. Like Colin Morikawa played like three events last year, two of them were majors, and he won the final money. Like it just, it just doesn't work. Like I was so against yeah, it. Like, 
Who is who's number is is JT like third or something on the money list? Probably. I don't even look anymore. Like it's just it's it's, it's so not representative of, of yeah, the money list, so right? Bad. It's like, so bad. But like, I mean, I get like I, you know they take up membership basically to play the grand final. They play one event and then they collect that bonus money. Like you know, it's just. I, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a very, very difficult situation. But, but to that point, right, and, and again, it'll be me saying it as opposed to making you, sort of you say it, but, like, it, the, everyone's made business decisions their whole life. Like, mm. Colin Morikawa playing three events on the European Tour to win the DP World Tour is a business decision. Yeah. Billy Horschel playing Wentworth, and he might tell you that he loves England, and maybe he does, I don't know, but he, he, he comes over for three events a year, wins one of them, and, and does very, very well for himself. Like, you know, it's it, it's not like players haven't been looking after themselves for for years and years. So that would be one defence I would put up. Again, I've I've you know battered down people I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you said it because I think everyone's been saying that behind closed doors for years. It just just it's just like one of those things you just don't talk about. But yeah, I mean, guys guys make business decisions. You yeah. know, I, I remember I remember when I was still on the European tour and somebody like Jake, uh, Justin Rose, like tweeted something like great season on the European tour. Fantastic. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you played like one event, <laughs> you know, like, and then like one of the, one of the players who was like grinding, you know, made it to top 60, like fringe, like read off the tweet. and was just like, you know, fuck this guy, you know, for saying that, like, you know, he's like, I, you know, he, he's like, I played all these events, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, and this guy plays one event. And, you know, he finishes in the top five or whatever it was. And it's like, you know, I, I get it. You know, I, I totally understand where, you know, if you're in that position and you have a chance to, to take a, you know, I don't want to take advantage of the system, but, you know. You, but it is. It's, it's game in yeah. the system, right? Like, it, that's exactly what it is. And, like, I have, I have been critical of people doing that. So people will say, why are you not critical of people going to live, whatever. My point is I've been critical at, the tour for allowing that. Like there was a time where you had to play a minimum amount of events to qualify for membership. I mean, Paul Casey got kicked off the Ryder Cup team for not playing four events. Yeah. Like it's been, they've held firm before, but now like the European tour is in such a bad position. They can't say no to Colin Murakawa coming over for one event because that one event might bring X amount of money over and, and that's how they survive. And I, I think that the, the merger was a desperation call from the European tour. They had to do something. PJ tour, took advantage of it i think a little bit um you know that, that that's not i don't think that's a, a surprise to anyone i don't think we're breaking news here right i think that's a you know again it's a business decision from the pj tour it's a business decision from the european tour and it probably isn't a great business decision for the european tour so um unless they can get themselves out of the situation which the talk is this week they're, they're going to try and do um it i think the the real real losers and i think you already sort of said it is the guys 60 to 100 in the european tour that like mm. are just not going to be able to play those Scottish Opens. Like a, a top five at the Scottish Open for a, a struggling European Tour player is season changing. Whereas yeah. a top five to a PJ Tour player, or like any PJ Tour really, like well, like even like the top seventy guys in the FedEx are not going to benefit too much from a top five at the Scottish Open compared to a European Tour guy, right? Yeah, I remember. I remember years ago. I don't know how he's been playing, but Matt Southgate. He used to just dominate the links, absolutely crush it. Like that's how he kept his card were always the links events, you know, the Scottish, the Irish, and like he would just play great. And 
you know, all of a sudden you're taking that away. You're taking one event away from him. And now all of a sudden it's like, if he doesn't play well in the other events, like he's kind of stuck and, you know, taking, taking opportunities away from guys where I remember like the Irish open years ago, like Soren Kiltson won, like, you know, take that away. Like, you know, he was, he would, he'd struggling and then started finding form and then won the Irish open. And all of a sudden kicked off. Like he played unbelievably got into the masters, I believe. So, um, you know, are you really going to take away advantage from guys that like can kind of grind and, and, and win these big events and, and, and really kind of kick off their career or kick off the second half of a career? And it's kind of, it's tough, you know? And every single guy I spoke to in London who was a member of the European Tour was just absolutely beside themselves that, that, that they did that deal. And it's, it's hard, you know, if you're a player like my, you know, I, I love the European tour. I love my time. And it's like, I feel like I, you know, I care, I care a lot about more about the European tour and, um, and their well-being and, uh, and seeing how they do. But man, it's, it's just, it's been tough. Like it's, it really is tough. And, and then I'll probably get in trouble, but I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was, we were at Honda for a players meeting and Moynihan's there and Jay's given this like, rah-rah speech like this intense speech like you know we're not going to be a stepping stone for you know these guys and like you want to go play go we don't need you all this stuff and it's like so adamant that they the pga tour was going to be the upper echelon they had zero interest in basically being a feeder tour and i'm sitting there i'm like man you've been you've used the european tour for years about being a feeder tour and like you have the balls to be like well we're not going to do that like that's beneath us it's like, and you got European tour members here in this crowd, and you're basically saying their membership is beneath you. And it just, it didn't sit right with me. I didn't like it. And it just was so frustrating because, you know, he's talking about, you know, money isn't all, all this, money, money that. Like, it isn't everything, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets to the end of his big speech, and he's just like, we're going to increase the purses in, you know, the next five years. We're going to add all this money to the FedEx. And it's just like, Damn, dude! <laughs> like read the room, <laughs> you know. So, but, but that, that's the thing, right? It is it's contradictory. Like the, the Scottish Open has always paid X amount of players to go and play it, and a lot of guys have played it because it's the week before the major, anyway, right? So it's it's always had a sh- strong showing of PGA Tour guys, and that has always taken a little bit away from the regulars. But generally speaking, they've been able to play. They didn't need to do that deal to still get a very strong yeah, field. Yeah, exactly that. that they've, like, not, they've not gained. They will get the guys there because no. the Open Championship is the week after. So if, if anything, they were having to kick out PGA Tour players. Like that was like that's what they were having to do is because they just they had too many guys wanting to play. And then there's, you know, if a guy really wanted to play the Scottish Open the week before, then go play this. Then I don't know what is in the schedule, but go play the Irish. Yeah. Go play the Irish two weeks before and then take a week off, practice around some links golf, and then play the Open. Like yeah. it shouldn't have been that difficult for guys to understand, but. Yeah, giving up giving up your strongest event when you're already letting in a, sh- a ton of PGA Tour players to begin with is 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 is, is interesting. It's dicey. But that, but, <laughs> it's but a fascinating that, strategy. Yeah, but that's uh, your thing, right? And again, like you, you have to. I guess you have to be careful what you say. I, I know you just said that you're not too worried about it now, but like it it is contradictory when you say it's not about money. This is the best tour in the world, and then you're adding a forty million or fifty million, whatever it is, pip. Bonus. Just, like 
just okay. just to give people money. Like that is yeah. literally all it was. No one knew what it actually meant. Tiger Woods is the only person that could win it based on the you know based on based on an iron shot at medalist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so... The pip was a joke. It, it, Absolutely. and and that's to me is like and then you had this kind of like outpouring of people that are like oh why is max homer not getting the pip it's like no literally there was nothing it was nothing about social media or interaction or anything like that it was paying x amount of guys that they knew they had to keep right and and again was, business decision it's it's okay yeah. reality was it's basically it's basically thank you money for playing proams for the last 20 years like that's really what it is it's like guys don't obviously get paid to play Wednesday pro-ams and like think about how much money it is to spend one day with Tiger Woods yeah like that's what it is like and as a player like he was not seeing any of that like so they were like well crap we need to figure out during a during a pandemic by the way they yeah. just must up an extra 50 million wherever 30 million whatever the number was well the L, the, the, the HQ in Ponza looks all right as well they've just yeah bought. yeah 200 million dollar clubhouse um yeah, I mean, I've been saying this since COVID, but, like, the best thing that happened to the players was COVID. As dumb as that, as bad as that sounds, but from a financial standpoint, the tour basically showed the players their books, and we're just like, do you have how much money? Like, what? You know? And so, you know, and then obviously the, the, the threat of a new tour, and then this PIP thing came out, and you're just like, Man, what's been going on? Like the corn fairy's been playing for seven hundred fifty k for how long? Like, man, you can't bump that up a little bit. And you know, it's just, I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, I get it. They're a multi-billion-dollar business, and they got to protect their business. And you know, I understand, and I totally get the side they're coming from. And but from a player's perspective, and um, you know, there's there's some things that you know they could potentially do differently and i I think with the threat of live i think the tour is going to have to do some things differently and it'll be fascinating to watch play out well that that was my thought was like one they they have basically billions in reserve right like that's just Mm -hmm. kind of sitting there and they can add to the players championship fund every year when they want to and then pull it out as and when they want to right and and like you say that this this corn fairy tour that was producing the Wills Alatoruses, the Cam Youngs, the Davis Riley's, Mito Pereira's that have, have made a story in all of your major championships this year, like, you're not going to feed that? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, not, you know, it's, it's not tough. Not only that, it, it, they restricted Will from playing last year. Like, because he was technically, I think it was last year, because he technically wasn't a PGA Tour member. Yeah. Like, he didn't get to play the Tour Championship, right? I don't think he, he did. did. I, don't, I can't remember now because he he got special temporary membership eventually, didn't he? Did he? Um, through but like it was, it was restricted for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Like he wasn't getting into events and like you're like what are you guys doing, man? Like I know there's a rule, but like let's not be archaic about our rules here. Like let's 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 adopt like let's adapt. Like let's promote these young kids who are studs that are the future of your tour. Like stop holding them back because they have some stupid some stupid old rule like i don't get it do, do you think there's people like will and cam young and davis riley that have come out over the last 10 years and because of the rules in place and because of how hard it is getting fields and how hard it is to build a schedule as a rookie and do you think we've just lost them not americans no i don't think so no i think i think pj tour in america is still just 
it's just what guys want to be. You know, that's I think that's where they want to go. And I don't think I don't think Americans are going to lose. I think I think the international crowd I think is going to kind of maybe look at you know these new tours as kind of a different avenue, um, as something different. And I, I don't I don't think you'll lose at least the PGA Tour will lose the the young college American kids at all. I don't I I, I don't see them kind of. But that, that would be a good strategy, right, for Liv, is to, is to get those guys, which I think they're trying to do by taking the guys they've, t- they've, they've they're paid money to, the, yeah. the amateurs and the guys that have just turned pro. Like, you know, I think I feel like they're trying to get one step ahead and get those guys before they even get a chance to get to the PJ Tour now. I mean, for me personally, like, if Liv was around when I turned pro, I'd do it. A thousand percent would have gone. And But that's just, but that's just me, just because I like, you know, that's just me different from, from other guys and, my passion to travel and, and see the world and stuff. So that's, that's just me. But, um, I think from an international guy standpoint, like you might get, you know, some of these top boys. I mean, we saw the kid from Arizona state played last week. Um, Puig, I think, um, you know, I, I played practice with the Oki state kid at Wells Fargo. And he mentioned that they chatted to him yeah. and so like, they're, they're, they're reaching out to college kids and international kids who obviously have big time potential and who they could see as future Ryder Cuppers and just trying to kind of, you know, I don't want to say poach them from the tour, but, you know, show that, Hey, this is, there's a different Avenue here to make a lot of money. And if you're an international guy and depending on what happens to the European tour or, you know, say they end up merging with live or what, or whatnot, like all of a sudden, if you're an international kid, all of a sudden, playing live playing a couple european tour events and all of a sudden you get rider cup points like that seems like a pretty dang good good deal let, let, let's let's face the obvious question because if i don't ask it i'm not doing what i'm supposed to do right and mm-hmm. you know you must know why people criticize it mm-hmm. and you must be aware of that when you're making a decision so does it have any bearing on the decision whatsoever and does do you find yourself having to justify yourself to others which seems like a stupid um, question when i'm asking you to do it but you know yeah i don't i don't feel like i have to justify it because uh, so when that field list came out first you know when i was in i was in newcastle for uh, international shit. I had a ton of phone calls, a ton of messages, ton of phone calls from PGA tour guys all asking like why, why I did it. And, you know, I just basically kind of what I said here about traveling, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get back playing internationally and obviously, and then there is the financial benefit to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I looked at where I was right now, you know, 32, got a newborn and, it's like, hey, this can this can set myself, my son up for forever, and like, that's just an opportunity you can't pass. Like, obviously, I know some of the stuff that's gone down, and you know, I don't, honestly, I don't condone it, and I'm not trying to like support her. I'm not trying to basically be like, hey, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to like turn a blind eye to it, but. You know, at the same time, it is a business decision, you know. Um, it's it's not, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, I can't, so, you know, I come from Massachusetts, so 
I don't know if I don't think I've ever really even told anyone. Like, I'm, I've told a few of my friends this story. So I'm originally from Mass, and my brother and I were in school, middle school. We were in, um, on, on 9-11, so we were up there. And the night before, my dad, you know, he left. Well, he, he said goodnight to us, and he said he was flying to L.A. the next morning. So, so my brother and I were in school when, obviously, the, the thing happened on 9-11, and um, – you know, the Boston to LA flight crashed into, you know, World Trade Center. And, you know, I get a phone call from the, you know, the office and, and, you know, basically saying, Hey, your mom's on the line. Like she needs to speak to you. So I'm still young at this point. It doesn't really resonate with me. Um, what may have just happened. And, you know, I, I remember leaving the, the class and uh coming out in the hall and there's my brother my brother's just in tears i'm like you know why and then all of a sudden it like resonated it's like oh shit like my dad was on that flight so you know we run to the office and get on the phone with my mom and she's like no no he's fine for some reason switched to a later flight the flight his meeting out in san diego was canceled and then he went on a later flight and like you know but but so for me like knowing what that impact of that day could have had on me and my family and stuff. And like, I know that obviously, you know, Saudis were involved and I get it and I understand, but man, like there's just something, there's just something about family and doing things for your family that, you know, it it just becomes difficult and I don't condone anything they've done. And I don't, Obviously, I don't, you know, support some of the things they've done, and um, it's just a, it's just a difficult situation. And you know, at the end of the day, we we made it based off of a business decision. So, look, I think, and that's a crazy story, right? And and not one that I expected was going to come up. So that was mm-hmm. uh, took me back a little bit there. But like, yeah. it, I I think, and my sort of first reaction is that is like, how do you then feel when that angle is what's being pushed? against you right like like that yeah. like that's what that's what's being rammed down your throat at the moment yeah i mean i landed in london or landed from london in miami and that was the first video i saw I was jay talking about it basically apologizing to the families on 9-11 like that the pga tour members have gone and played for the saudi back league and all this stuff and it's just like god it just it just it triggered me it really 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 made me upset and you know, just because, like, I'm from up there. Like, I, I understand, like, the impact it had and on the community and the people. Like, I totally get it. And it's not, it's not, it's like, I don't support 9-11. Like, that's just not. And then the fact that they were using that as, like, a leverage just made it just feel so gross and dirty. And, like, I, I. Like like I said, I've I've basically because of because that happened, I I if I'd never played another PGA tour again, because of that, like because it is long because of what Jay said, like I'd be fine. Like So I think that, that, I think this is the thing, right? Is that like people like so when you're telling that story, like there's gonna be some people out there that have that have read that article, listened to Jay, and they're gonna go, You're telling the story, how have you made that decision? And like in my head and I and every time I go back on a tweet with somebody about something like this and this is i'm going to say exactly the same thing they always say oh that's just what about you and i always say well yeah but 
what about the whole world that relies on Saudi Arabia? Like you can't, you can't do anything without Saudi I mean, Arabia. It's, it's literally impossible. Right. right? So like we as do. much as I don't want, if I had the choice, if, okay, that, that's a hypothetical. If, if the PJ Tour paid you the same money tomorrow, mm-hmm. would that make any difference? good question <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean the, you gotta remember like pj tour's biggest sponsors you know gets jammed down our throat all the time their biggest sponsors fedex <laughs> fedex has invested what half a billion dollars into saudi arabia the rbc that dropped dustin johnson is just yeah the, RB, the rbc <laughs> one's really bad too <laughs> like that's really bad like, it's a, uh, like i just i get like I am, fr- and people don't think that because, and people are probably going to think the same because I, I've spoken to you, and maybe I'm being a little bit lighter on you than someone else would in this situation. But like my, my, the purpose of this podcast is not for me to back you into a corner to say something mm. to get an extra thousand listeners. I don't, it just it doesn't appeal to me. Like I have, uh, we've you know you've always been very good to me. We, we've chatted for a long time over the years. I don't. I don't I don't have an interest in doing something like that, right? So that that's the first reason I'm not doing the things that people maybe want me to do. But two, like, I've always had the same stance before talking to you. Like, I just see it as, like, it's not an individual's responsibility to make that decision. Like, so to me, like, it's almost like a fear of missing out, right? Like, if, if you're the first 50 guys that turn it down and someone comes out and says, I'm turning this down, and then they suddenly see one of their buddies go and do it and earn X amount of money a week, like... You're going to be sitting there regretting that decision. Like I would never want to. I know. Like I think Rory made a good point when he was like, "Anytime I made a decision just for money, it's not worked out very well for me." And I said, "Yeah, that's fine." And like I've I've had that same feeling, but I'm talking about a year's worth of salary, whereas you're talking about yeah. like, oh, you made a hundred million decision, right? It's it's a completely different stratosphere, and you've got fifty million behind you that you can afford to make a bad decision. I couldn't. Yeah. So like, if if someone said to me, like I always put it, like if the, the Saudi Arabian arm of my company now after me 10 times my salary to go over there. Am I going to do it? <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it's just not going to, I don't even have to think about it as hard as you did. And the thing that kind of like irks me with, with, with roars when he's kind of makes those comments, it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, he's already got a couple hundred million in the bank. Another couple hundred million isn't going to change his life. Yes. I understand that. But if you're going to take a guy like Richard Bland, all of a sudden give him $5 million or whatever. Like if he's going to make 5 million on the course, that's going to change his life. Like that really does. And so, you know, for a guy like Rory, maybe it doesn't make sense to do it because, you know, he doesn't need to make that extra bit of money, but there's a lot of guys like me, for instance, like, you know, I think I've made career on the PJ tours, like 4 million. Like, yeah, I mean, that's still a shit ton of money. Like I understand that, but we're talking about, whole nother bracket here you know but it, so this is the thing like, and i'm glad you brought that up because i didn't know whether i should or not but like so your career earnings are, are close to five million on the pga tour mm-hmm. and the same again on the european tour and, it, and some of that will be shared for wgc's and and uh, mm-hmm. majors as well so let, let's say you made eight million in, in prize money right you're gonna you're gonna do that over a short period of time not having exactly. to struggle doing something that you don't want to do like it's guaranteed and, and 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 again so that's another one of the of the the biggest pitfalls that people keep saying about it is like you don't even have to be good to make money and it's like well every sports league in the world pays 
a nothing player to sit on the bench of their sports team. Yeah. And not only do they give him a $20 million contract, they also give him travel, trainer, food, housing, flights, yeah. whatever. Like they don't, they don't have to do anything. So they have no outgoings and they make all this money just to sit there and do nothing. Whereas you still have to go and play the golf. You still have to... You do still want to perform. Like, I can't imagine that there's like no motivation. Like to me, like I oh, feel, God. I feel like uh, you know, Charles Schwartz like, is a perfect example. Yeah. I think because like he's just won the first event, right? He, yeah. He's the first guy to win one, and everyone said, "Oh, he looks a little bit emotionless." I guarantee that like there was some nerves no, down was, the stretch. He was, he was, he was shitting himself. Yeah. I mean, as bad as it sounds, like he was. I mean, yeah, he leaked oil. Like yeah. you could tell, just playing with him, like you know, first first few holes like the ball flight was different like it was high it was up in the air like all of a sudden it got towards the end like he hit kind of a pull bad one and the next thing you know his ball flight is really low and it's kind of like getting it's just like getting play ball you know so he was he was feeling it and the other thing and, as well is like he is um his best career so this is a guy that's won the masters right and his best career year on the pj tour was less than three million and over yeah. the lot and i pulled up a start last three and a half years i think four years maybe three and a half He's made less than what he made in that first event. Like I, I, I know it can't all be about money, but like it has to be considered, like for everybody. No, we. I mean, he brought that up. We had dinner Saturday night um, with with everybody and you know, a handful of players, and he brought that up. He was like, he was like, this, this, this. I've made more money in three days here than I have in my best year as a PGA Tour player. And he's like, it's just, he's like, it's just incredible. And it's, I agree. I mean. My my favorite thing for me personally what, what happened in London like obviously being captain, which was a complete fucking shock. No idea <laughs> that was gonna happen. I woke up Tuesday morning with that information. I was like, oh shit. And uh, so being captain, but then birdieing the 18th hole, like obviously it helped me individually make money, but for my team it got us out of a tie for second to a second. So my team with Richard Bland, who's 49. You know, Pachara and Travis Smith are two Asian tour kids. So that extra money, you know, I think we ended up we ended up getting about it was like three seventy five between us. Like that extra cash for those boys, incredible. And so for me, like that really like that resonated with me. I was just like, shit, that was awesome. And I loved being a part of that team and being a part of those that atmosphere of like trying to help these guys gain so much more money than what they were previously making on the Asian tour. And that, and I love that. And I loved that feeling. And that's why I think as a player, this format could stick, this tour is going to stick. And it's like, it's just a different feeling. And for a guy like me that hasn't had as much success on the PJ tour as I would like, maybe this is where I find my footing. You know, maybe this is where I, this is where I kind of play well. And this is where I thrive. And this is the situation I thrive in. And, you know, and that's just another avenue for for guys to play golf, to to make a living and do something different. And so, you know, we'll see. I always just think that, like, a couple of points to that. But I think, like, one, I, I think you've got to think about what's the biggest regret. Is your biggest regret to be taking it and facing some criticism, facing, you know, maybe losing, I don't know, if you lose friends over it or whatever. But, like, or do you regret not even giving it a go? Like, you, you don't you didn't know that you were going to finish yeah. inside the top three. Was it third? fifth last one yeah and you don't know you don't know you're gonna do that and like all of a sudden that last putt's worth whatever 300 extra thousand for you and like 
to me, like, you've just spoken there about the pride and happiness that you get from helping two guys out that don't, you know, didn't necessarily have the chance to make their money before this. And it's like, why is it okay to be a teammate on the Ryder Cup and say that you love team play and that you love supporting your team? But as soon as money's involved, that, that suddenly isn't suddenly isn't what you're motivated by. Like, everyone else is like, you know, if someone said to you, like, what would your answer be if someone said, you don't, you don't actually really care about those people on your team, it's just an extra bit of money for you? Like... Surely that's not yeah. the case. No, I mean, no, it's not. I mean, for me, like I, for me personally, I took great pride in being captain. I did see, I did see someone tweet something really funny that actually made me laugh. But they were like, you know, take it. They were like, damn, Peter Uline, three hundredth in the world. It's gonna be awkward when he drafts three guys that are better than him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, shit, you're not wrong. <laughs> and so, like that, that really made me laugh. But like, I, I. I took being captain to heart. Like you should see the shit. Uh, me and my buddies, my two buddies like broke down for me. Like we have all this information on the guys that are eligible to play, you know, their uh, strokes, gain, scoring average, distance, proximity to the hole. Like we had everything and we had them ranked off on where we wanted them. And so like, I took it seriously. I really was into it and I really wanted to put together the best team. And so for me, yeah, I mean, for me to, to, to end up finishing second in between, you know, a, a South African team that was never going to lose and then against an English team that probably underperformed, yeah, I mean, that was – I take great pride in that. And, you know, I don't really give a shit if someone's going to be like, well, they're just playing for money. It's like, well, yeah, we're just playing for money. But we're also playing for pride. Like, I didn't want to go out there and lay an egg and, you know, embarrass ourselves and, you know, do all that. And it's like – you know, I know that this is life-changing money for everybody, and it's like there there's a good opportunity to to try and take advantage of it. So I just I just don't buy into the fact that once you get more money, you don't care, because like if that was the case, then every sporting legend that ever got to the top of their game would just stop after five years, like or like decline yeah, massively. I mean, LeBron would just be taking league minimum money. Yeah, you know, like. Dude's worth a billion dollars, and he's still the highest-paid player in the league. And it's like, well, he still goes out, and he's still. I mean, I'm not a LeBron guy at all, but like, he at least, you know, he seems to try and seems to care and like stuff like that. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's pride and there's ego on the line. And for me, like, personally, obviously, the way my dad is, like, financially, I, I will probably always be okay. But at the same time, there's a sense of pride in me going out and doing it myself and earning my own money for myself and for my family. And that's something I take great pride in. And, you know, I see a bunch of guys tweet. They're like, oh, well, his dad's CEO, whatever, retired. So they're uninformed. <laughs> Off the board as well. So they're also uninformed. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but I take I take pride in earning a money, earning a keep and, you know, supporting my family so i i can't remember if i said this to you personally i've definitely said it about you to people but like it like that was the first thing that came across to me when we've had conversations was like you were i think i, I think i posed it to you on, on the podcast it was like how hard is it to be viewed as you know just your dad's son who has it given to him that doesn't need to worry about whether he's going to get the title of sponsorship because he's just going to get one and he doesn't need to do very well because you know he's yeah. set for life but like there there is a pride in in doing better right like I, i'm 
I'm coming up to 30 years of age and like I, I, my salary is better than it's ever been mm. and and I'm happier because of that and it's not because yeah. it's not because I'm rich but it's because like I can say to to my partner like you know we we, we can go on an extra couple of holidays a year and and, yeah. and I've earned it and you know and and I've done it like my my parents are very good to me and and I look I, I don't think I'd be on the streets I, I don't have to worry about like if, if I didn't have a job I've, I've been afforded some pretty good opportunities but like you, it, it has to have everyone's human. I think I think people detach that from like professional sports players a lot, and especially the ones at the very very top. They're like, like, what does DJ care about? You know, his team, or what does he care about? Like growing the game because he just literally yeah. wants the money. And, and I think I think the first thing that like I think the first person that came out and spoke about it like publicly being about money was Jason Cochran, and like I think he was the first person everyone was like, look, at least he just says that. And I was like, yeah, but he, he shouldn't have to. Like, he shouldn't have yeah. to say that because, like, I don't need to ask you whether the money is, is part of the decision. I know it's part of the decision. Like, you don't need yeah. to come out and say that. And they 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 don't like the fact that they can't get you to say what what they want you to say in an interview. And I think that's that's really sad. Is it like? But I I know as soon as I wrap this up and I post it, there's going to be someone that says, oh, you didn't press him hard enough. And it's like, well. Like, why not? Like, why would I? Like, I've got the information I've wanted to get. You've been very candid about your decision making. You, you've not left anything off the table. Um, I, I don't need to. I don't need to dig in any further than that. Like, everyone knows what what the decision is. I don't think people have to apologise for wanting more. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's no shame, and like, you work hard. You know, you you put in an effort, and you're successful. You should be fairly compensated for it and in golf in particular you can work hard play well miss the cut and be in the hole like i know uh i don't know if you know country club collection danny good guy chat to danny a lot and you know he posted some on his stories about you know a, a pga tour player was you know 30k in the hole the last four weeks because you know he's missed the cuts and it's like you know we're, I don't want to say we're frugal, but there are guys who are frugal. Like, you know, you find ways to save money. You're not spending, you're not trying to spend thousands of dollars every week on hotels or flights or whatever. You know, you're, you're, you're human. You're trying to save money, but that's just the cost of it sometimes. And so, you know, when this opportunity came where you're basically going to get a guaranteed check, you're like, fuck yeah. Like, how can you, how can you say no to that? And, I almost equate it to like major league baseball, you know, in major league baseball, you, you, once you make it to the, to the big leagues, you're basically under the team control for six years. So if you make it to the big leagues at 22, your first three years are basically making league minimum. And, you know, year four, you hit arbitration where you can get a raise and the raise is maybe 900 K to a million five or whatever. And then year two, it's a bigger raise year three. It's a bigger raise. Then it's free agency. So it's like all of a sudden, you know, you've spent six years and perfect example is a guy, Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers, won an MVP while making 900 grand. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, he, you know, he has a chance, his contract's coming up or whoever, whoever's contract's coming up. And all of a sudden, you know, the team that he's been with the last six years had success, isn't going to pay him as much as someone else. Does that make him a bad guy? for taking more money to go play for another team? No. But it, but everyone but everyone said, says that about every sports like if someone yeah. goes to like if someone goes from 
like I, I and I always equate this and sorry to jump in like the MLS used to pay some European soccer guys a lot of money to come over and play and they were basically the end of their career and they weren't very good but they were really good yeah. in the yeah. MLS and I was like hang on a minute I said like first of all that's a lot of money to say no to when you know you're you're dwindling in form but second of all like if you ask me whether I want to live in the arse end of nowhere of England or whether I want to live in New York or LA or you yeah. know, wherever, then it doesn't, Toronto, it doesn't seem like a difficult decision to me. Like, you're going to get paid more money and you live in a better place. Like, these guys can take themselves to, you know, take their kids to American schools or, you know, because like, I think the sporting college system is so much better over there that, like, they're set up better for life. Like, you know, what David Beckham's done with his kids, I'm sure he could have done it over here, but, like, mm-hmm. it gave him a platform to more. And I, I just... I just think that, like, just in sports in general, and I know, I know the the extra layer of criticism for this, and like, I understand it, but I still think that, like, even if there was a, like, the PGA, if the PGA had come off, and and there was, they were just paying loads more money to people coming up, people would still criticise that because they'd be like, well, you you've been on the PGA tour for X amount of years, and now you're just going to wash mm-hmm. away for some money. Like, it doesn't, it's not always just the fact. It's just very easy to to criticise people because there's that little bit of shroud of doubt behind it, I think. Whereas there's always so much more to it than what meets the eye, I think. Yeah, I can, listen, I can totally understand why guys, you know, the guys on the PJ Tour have made 50, 60 million jump ship. Like, I can totally understand that criticism. Like, I get it. You know, but there are other guys who've done it who haven't, made that kind of money and all of a sudden they look at this as an opportunity to do that and they look at this as an opportunity like i said to do something different and be you know financially rewarded that now i can kind of like i said i can go and do something locally to help out to help grow the game or or with the ajga or whatever all of a sudden that puts me in a better financial position to help grow the game different avenues and you know it's but the cynicism is because you don't because you won't make a public announcement that you're doing that and because you won't well now you won't be able to win because either you're making a public announcement because you're trying to wash people's minds that you're actually doing good with it or you don't make a public announcement no one knows you've done it and you can't win do you know what i mean like and someone's gonna listen to this and go you're just saying that because you want to seem like a good guy and it it just it blows my mind like so many athletes have charities and things like that and give more to charity than anybody else yeah. and get criticized well, that's, that's why we don't announce it what we do and b that's why we do a lot with animals because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> animals uh, they they're not going to talk not as judgmental talk, mm. yeah they're not going to talk negative negatively about you so you know we 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 try and help out with a lot of shelters down here as much as we can and like i said this just gives like this just gives us an opportunity to to give more and give back more which is ultimately what we want to do so no i get that um is the is it ever going to be the ultimate goal i know we've had a couple of conversation there is the ultimate goal to just be able to play both or is it getting is it getting past that point because of the, the earlier comments the ultimate goal is yes but the reality is i just don't see it happening just because, you know, there's going to be 14 live events potentially started next year. There, there's there was talks of it only being 10, but man, the stuff the players I've heard who are jumping and the players I've heard are going to leave after the tour championship, like the teams that are already being put together, like there's a chance 
you know, this was supposed to be a year three thing. There's a chance this starts now year two. So whether or not that goes from 10 to 14, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not really privy to it, but, um, you know, the, the, the drink, you know, the reality is if you play 14 live events, you got to play 15 PGA tour events and 29 times. That's a lot of golf for a lot of guys. Like for me, it's okay. But like, you're not going to ask, you know, a 40 year old Dustin Johnson to play 30 times. He's just not going to do it. No. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if you can hear a little man on the monitor over there or not. <laughs> um, so I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, I think, I think Jay kind of made it pretty adamant that he drew a line in the sand and was like, Hey, it's either this way or, or you're out. And, you know, I, I think that's just kind of the way it's going to be. It stinks. You know, you're going to get a fractured tour, which sucks. Um, but if you're the majors, though, you kind of look at that as just saying, like, shit, this is pretty good opportunity for us to kind of step back and just be like, hey, we're going to have the best players in the world now compete in our events and not at, like, Colonial Memorial or whatever. Like, they're only going to be at the majors. Yeah. And that's that's a hell of a sell. Like, that's a that's a hell of a sell for a major, for a major championship, you know? I think as well, like, this is one of the things that I kind of thought about was, like, Everyone wanted the Masters to be the ones that come out and said, like, we're going to ban players from playing. And it was like, hang on a minute. Like, they've already got three Masters champions yeah. in the field. It's probably going to be six soon, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. it, it could get closer to ten, nine. It's already a limited field anyway. So all of a sudden you're going to not, you know, you've already got five or six guys that are going to be not playing golf for much longer take 10 guys away because they're in live all of a sudden you, you haven't got a big enough field like you're gonna have to start extended your invite list and that change takes away what the, the masters is so i don't think they're ever going to stand up like and i don't think they should like yeah. i think the fact that you're um relying on that is is not good um do you no, I, I i just from conversations i've had like i've only had conversations with some usga guys and they said there's just they can't why would they yeah. why would they ban guys you know and Obviously, I spoke to some guys who, who've been in contact with the with the Masters and the RNA and the PGA, and it's just like they've basically been told that they're fine. You know, whether or not that that changes, I don't know. But you know, as of right now, those boys have all been told that nothing's going to happen. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's tough, isn't it? Like, do, do you? And I know you said about you know individual comments that that no, but like, do you? respect what jay is trying to do the stance he's trying to take from just a purely business decision do you get it jay jay's in charge of a multi-billion dollar business and he needs to look out for his product and i totally totally get it you know my dad my dad ran, ran a multi-billion dollar business like I, I i understand the decisions that go into it like i watched him you know basically let tiger out the door he let Phil out the door he let rory out the door like i get it like you got to make tough decisions but you got to do what's best for your business and i understand it so do i think jay you know i heard this from i listened to the no laying up crew um they were talking about it do i think jay is a good commissioner for what's going on right now you know i think they called him like a good peacetime commissioner you know, but during wartime, like, is he the guy? And it's like, you don't know. You don't know. And 
he could potentially be a little bit in over his head right now. Um, he hired, I, I heard they hired that PR firm out of New York, which is a bit like, it, it's like a firm that basically does, I don't want to say damage control, but they basically try to pander from like social, like just like social movements and stuff. So I think that's kind of what's gone on with some of the decisions and some of the comments they've made. Um, so I don't know if that was totally right, the right route to go, but, um, yeah, I think he, he might, he's, he's, yeah, he's got some tough decisions and whether or not he's the right man for the job, I don't know. I, I, you know, he's, he's trying his best to protect his product. He's obviously put a lot of faith in the players and the players making their decision and, so far that faith hasn't really been rewarded, but you know, there, there are a lot of times and a lot of instances where, you know, the PGA tours, you know, it, it's a product that literally only needs 10 guys to, and that's what they're going to try and push and sell. And I mean, look at all the stuff when tiger plays for the week, it's literally all about tiger. And yeah. that's just, that's just kind of the way they, they run their business. And that's just kind of the way they go about things. And, and I get it, and um, but it's 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 difficult. But I think I think the trouble is is like they'll always rely. So they've always relied on Tiger for X amount of years, and now he hasn't been involved as heavily for the last let's say five years. It's probably been a little bit longer than that, but let's say five years. This is when these other tours have, have come about, and this is what they've yeah. they've seen a weakness. They know that there was a little bit of fragility there. They knew that players were unhappy. They knew that you know there there was improvements to be made. So it's it's the perfect time to do it. And I, I just I see it from both sides. I see why the PJ Tour would be unhappy. I see why fans of the PJ Tour would be unhappy because they, they're worried about the future of that tour. We, we as a collective, are worried about the European Tour. Like, it, there, there's obviously criticisms, and I think just because you're a part of it, you're going to get bundled in with that. But that doesn't necessarily, like, to me, that just doesn't stand up. Like, people will just, like you said, when people just poke fun at you because you're a captain, you're going to pick three players that are betting you in the world ranking. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty funny, but like, you know, it, that is what people do. Like, the first thing everyone did was like, oh, look, it's the world number 358 has been picked up on their captain. How weak is their product? And it's like, yeah, well, we'll see when, you know, it, when Portland comes around that, like, yeah. there's another 20 guys they, in the field. And they, and they did, and they were obviously Canada, best case scenario for the That's said, yeah. tour. Absolute <clears throat> best case scenario. But reality is, like, he's number one and two in the world. Like, Rory's best player on the planet i don't care what world ranking say rory when he's on is the best player on the planet and like you'd expect him to be leading and contending in tournaments when he's going up against john houston like you know i'm sorry like i understand like it was best case to have that field and those boys up there but you know it still wasn't like it's like they were like trying to turn a blind eye to the fact that like a guy who hadn't who hadn't played since like oh four was playing in an event and it's like there's there's some there's some you know i don't want to say flawed decisions that have kind of gone on with some of the tour and their events but you know i'd love from a player standpoint just i mean this whole like i love baseball and this whole mlb offseason was just so fascinating to me from a player standpoint like you know i'm jealous like i'm so jealous that you know that mlb had a union like i'm so jealous of that you know basically being out to try and look out for the best interests of the players and would i love to see that happen for the pga tour hell yeah i'd love for the players to get a union and 
you know, maybe this is the wake up call that they needed and um, maybe, maybe, maybe something comes of it, but you know, I, I'm not entirely sure with some of the names I hear that are jumping and, you know, guys that are going to come and play and, Maybe they're maybe maybe that's not what's going to happen, but the tour might need to change how they operate. But that, the thing, the frustrating thing with that, and, and I agree, that's what's going to have to happen. And I think ultimately, like the, the idea is that it's going to be a win for them. And people keep sort of comparing it to like when the XFL breaks out and, and creates a league, and the NFL yes. just find what they've done well, copy it, and then the XFL ceases to exist. I don't think they can do that with with live because there's just way too much money involved. But like, yeah. if they take the best parts from what people are enjoying from that eventually, like I can't tell you how refreshing it was. Like they they can say what they want about shotgun start. They can say what they want about who was in the field. They can say what they want about the money involved. To be able to just put that golf on in the background on Saturday, mm-hmm. and just let it run, not having to hear Rolex adverts every fifteen minutes. Not having to hear them interview a CEO of yeah. Sketches or whatever it was. It, it's it you know it as a as a viewing product it was great. I mean the commentary was a little bit to be desired and mm-hmm. you know that that's something that's going to improve. But I just I just think that like they 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 put that on in eight weeks too. Yeah. So it was it was a short like rush mad dash event to to get run and you know, talking to the guys after on Saturday night and they're like, we ran that at 50% of what we want to. Yeah. Like we want this production to be so much better than what it was. And for them to basically put on that event, run it at 50%, stream it, you know, like it, I mean, say what you want. I mean, people could joke that it was streamed on YouTube and viewers and stuff, but like, you know, at least at least at least they did that. Like they streamed it for free and let's see people see it and see if they had interest in it before basically putting it behind a paywall and, you know, and just try and cash out that way. And it's like, you know, I think they'll eventually go down that route. No they'll have to. That, that's a, that's yeah. a given. Right. But like, I think yeah. I completely agree. Like for me, like I could have had I could have had the PJ tour on the TV and had that on my tablet watching it. And like, I've got the best of both. So from a viewer's experience, yeah. it's great. Right. And. Like, yeah. yes, it can't stay out. I mean, the, be- the best case scenario is that they just leave it on YouTube for forever because then, yeah. you know, like, all the viewers will then eventually got free golf all the time and no adverts yeah. and they'll probably be, you know, swayed by it. But um, it's a business. That doesn't, it doesn't really work yeah, like that. I, like, when my first, my when I finished my round on Thursday, like, my first concern was just, like, how'd it look? Like, I immediately turned my phone on and I'm, like, texting my buddies. I'm, like, how'd it look? How'd it look? I didn't even care like what the tour. I knew I had the tour's decision. Yeah. There, but I was like, "Fuck, what the coverage looked like? How did it look? Like, what happened? Did it flow? Was it okay? Talked about blah blah blah." And then I get a text from like my mom. I'm like trying to talk to everybody how to go. My mom's like, "Hey, you're suspended, by the way." I was like, "Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I, I all I cared about was what the production looked like yeah. because I understand that's important because I put on I put on golf for. 30 minutes yesterday, which here in the States, you got to use three different streaming platforms to watch it, which is just absolutely insane. Yeah, it's a right about that, yeah. And like, so I put on golf for 30 minutes, and the only things they basically talked about was it was live and the other tour, and then just like commercials. I was like, I mean, this sucks. Yeah. Like, this sucks. Like, golf, golf literally 
the only time you put golf on is to nap. It really is. They went and... to an advert on the 72nd hole of JT versus Rory. Did they really? In Canada? Everywhere, yeah, yeah. 72nd hole, there was an advert. And I think it was one of those playthrough where it was side by side, but it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, yeah. um, and we get it better over here than you do. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, the, the coverage here is listening to kind of Pete Costas talk about it and like all the stuff he had to do and say and stuff in that hour frame. It's just like, and, and listen, when you're, when, when these people are forking over billion dollars, like, that's yeah, what you got to do. Gonna, yeah. yeah, I mean that's what you got to do. Yeah, so, like I don't, I don't blame the tour for doing it. No, but it is, no. a, but it's a problem. Like it's a problem for you. Yep. Like pay, just put it on ESPN Plus and let people pay ten dollars a month for it, and then you don't have to yeah. do that. But it's part of the sponsorships to get the event sponsored. So this is the problem: is like every decision is financial. It doesn't matter what people say. It's just that because you're getting a larger sum of money, and it's the people that are getting it that like people just have an opinion, and that that's what frustrates me the most is people just forget. But there's an individual at the end of the day and you know maybe it's because i i'd speak to people like you and i've spoken to other guys in your similar situation that that maybe i'm a little bit more what's the word sympathetic to the reasonings i don't i don't know maybe it's just a guy that as a money motivated myself that like i get it I, I don't know it's just but like i just can't see how you can just be against an individual for a decision they make like it should be down to if you're going to start talking about individuals turning around Saudi Arabia, you've got to talk about countries turning around Saudi Arabia, and then you can start talking, right? Then then we can worry about it. So, um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, so many, there's so many countries. Like, there was a great, I think it was a great article about uh, Golf Digest with the new Asian Tour CEO, and he's kind of talking about, you know, past histories and getting involved with Saudis and past histories of other countries. He's like, listen, if we had to worry about what was going on in in all these countries throughout Asia, like we wouldn't have a tour like in, in, in everyone's history. And I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, every single, I mean, are we really going to play the moral high ground being in the United States of America? <laughs> like, come on, man. But like, I, I think not only that, but like we're talking about the European tour and like everyone, like I'll, I'll always question Dubai as a place to Dude. go and play golf right like that's not dubai good it's still dubai, it's still illegal dubai. to be gay it's still yeah. you dubai wasn't built on rainbows and sunshines no. you know <laughs> like... and because but because it's seen because it's seen as like well the european tour have to do it because they need money and it's like it's still the same thing it doesn't matter because they've got less yeah, money yeah. it's still it still means the same thing so um that that's why i just don't that's why i don't think the european tour can do anything no. like they they just since they've played in Saudi the last few years and, you know, they're sponsored by DP world tour. Like they can't, they can't punish their players in my opinion. And then that is a brutal sign. If you're Jay Monahan, like, you know, this guy you're supposed to be aligned with is basically saying, sorry, <laughs> sorry. But not only that, like, like the guys who've asked for releases from the European tour and were denied, and now all of a sudden, like they're not going to punish the guys who denied, you know, were denied a release, but then went and played anyways. Yeah, like that is super, super dangerous. Well, the like, that is really slow. The trouble is, is like you know, I I find Richard Bland's story fascinating for a number of reasons. He was like the biggest story on the European Tour last season at forty nine yeah. years of age, right? He jumped ship. 
Why wouldn't yeah. he? Like, it's a small window this guy's got to cash in on. Like, he's not going to be... He's already spoken about that he's probably going to go out on the Champions Tour straight away. Like, yeah. that. so he knew what, what it was, right? And so that was their best story, was an older guy coming and getting the first career win and, and all that sort of stuff. Then, so, okay, you cut him out. That, so that's one story gone. Then you've got Bert Wiesberger, who is basically the, the headline attraction of every European tour is that he's the betting favorite every week like mm -hmm. and he doesn't win every week but he's he was he's, he was, he was going to be my first round yeah. he, <laughs> he, he, got, he got stolen <laughs> um but yeah. like you know it, you lose that guy and all of a sudden it's tough I mean like you would think that the PJ Tour can't afford to lose Dustin Johnson I still think there'll be something that will come out about that but like once more guys come, and I, and I know they're coming, like they're, 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 it's just people think they're not. People still think that like this is going to be it, and I'm like, no, there's going to be guys. I've always said there's always going to be one or two guys that shock you the most, and it's going to hurt. Um, yeah. When it happens, it happens. Yeah, and that's why you know you worry about the European Tour because you know you're relying heavily. Like you're you're losing the old guard. You know you really like. From a Ryder Cup standpoint, you know, your Westies and Poulter and Kaima. I guess it's inevitable. And like, you know, you're losing these guys and it's like, who's going to replace them? And, you know, the guys who are, you would think could replace them, you know, the, you know, you obviously got the Hovlands and the Roms and, and those boys, but you still got to fill 12. And, you know, those back end boys, you know, the Weisbergers and Cantors or, you know, kind of guys like that, you, you know, all of a sudden they've left and, you know, if you're kicking them off your Ryder Cup team, it's like, man, are you really putting out your best product? And, and you're not. And it's. But uh, we're just about gonna... to lose the next probably five Ryder Cup captains. Yeah, and then and then you look at a guy like they're obviously. I think they're going to bank heavily on the Hoygaard twins, but who's to say they don't jump? You know, and then all of a sudden, what are you going to do? Yeah. And so so Keith's in a tough spot. Keith's in. Keith's in a position where Keith needs to look out for himself. He needs to look out. Well, he needs to look out for the tour first and foremost, but then he needs to look out for himself. And if that's, you know, maybe calling, you know, the Saudi boys back and being like, Hey, you know, I may have made a mistake. Then this is the best way to save the tour. And then that, that might be it. But man, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough. Like, like I said, like I started on the European tour. I'm more, partial towards them so it's like i worry i generally worry about them and you know i hope the right decisions get made but yeah it's like look Pete, i'm gonna let you go because i think i think people are just gonna be sitting there waiting for me to say something that they want me to say and i'm just it's, it's just not gonna come right it's just i've said it as as diplomatically as i want to i've i've got your answer people know what your answer is to it um are we going to change people's mind? No, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily the point of the call, right? I think I wanted to touch base with you. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to understand the process of you becoming captain, which I just found out you didn't even know about until Tuesday. Didn't so even, didn't even need to go into woke, that. So that was great. Woke up, um, woke up Tuesday morning does, with an email. I, I was so excited because I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, like captain sees right. I want to see who can I get drafted because I was like, you know, I get drafted probably – I was thinking like Weisberger was going to be a captain. I was thinking they were doing a base off world. Yeah, right? yeah. So I was like, all right, maybe I could be like, because I thought it'd be really cool if I was going to be like the first pick or the second pick. Like I'd be like, hell yeah, like that's sweet. Like they wanted me on their team, and all of a sudden I see I'm a captain. I'm like, 
shit. That's on you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I'm like panicking. I'm like calling my buddies. I'm like, we need to figure this out. Let's get get me all the information on these guys. And um, so does that so does that mean you're captain in Portland, or is that not? Is it every week no. it changes? Every week it changes. Like I, I mean, there's obviously going to be more set teams in Portland already. Um, because this is this was the argument, right? Is that people couldn't get invested in the team aspect because they knew everything was going to change from week one. And I sort of yeah. said, well, yeah. I get that, but you had the two, yeah, the English and the South African team that's not going to change, right? Like that's obviously been preset, or you know, yeah. unless other guys come on. Um, yeah. Then the other question is like, so then how do you share out the money that the guys earned in week one and didn't play in week two and things like that? Like that, yeah. that's that's the easiest way of people picking out holes in it and i'm like yeah but it, it was week one like they had to yeah, do something they had to it, they had to put a team together they couldn't not have a team it, it would literally was supposed to be it's supposed to be a two-year process yeah like that it's week one and so yeah i mean it's hard to be emotionally invested with some teams like i get it because there is going to be turnover but like i said there's there's going to be more set teams in Portland, but again, whether or not those teams stick together, I don't know because there's going to be more guys that are going to end up jumping. And so I think those will still be flowing. The team names, I have no idea if they stay. I, I, I are no you hoping your team name stays? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I had no idea if the team names were even a thing. Like, and all of a sudden, because we saw, you know, you walk through like going down to the range, you look kind of look on the board and you see all these like logos. You're like, what the fuck are these? You know, no idea that they were actually part of the teams and the team names. And, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I like being a part of the crew. I got a hat that says Crushers on it, so it's sweet. <laughs> also, Kep, before we actually do go, can we talk about the guy that took the biggest flop in the world on in the crowd? Oh, yeah. I Dude. mean, I, your face oh looked God. like you thought you'd killed him. I thought I dome shot it up. And, and because, <laughs> because the worst the worst part was I didn't know this, but Pachara was in front of me. Pachara's seventy yards left on top of this hill. And so Charles teed off first, I think. And so Charles hit, hit up the left, and then I get over it and I hit, but I wouldn't pay attention. There was a golf cart that was basically in the way, in the rough. And so but I'm not paying attention. So I hit this guy and I think just judging by the way people are standing and pointing, I think my ball hit this guy in the head and it's gone way up on this hill. So I'm like, oh, my God, I just hit him in the head. He's going to be out. There's going to be blood. I'm panicking. And so I'm freaking out. Like, I stay back because I need to gather myself. And I'm, like, walking really, really slow. And then I get up there and my caddy, like, gives me the thumbs up. And I'm like, man, what the hell's going on? And it's just this guy's just like – no, no, you hit me in the ass. I was like, <laughs> so I literally like didn't miss a beat. I was like, well, shit. If you actually went to the gym and your ass was any harder, I'd go back out the fairway. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was great, and you know I I saw someone like tweet like, man, imagine getting a signed glove from Peter Uli thinking that was good. And, you know, that that shit is funny. Like I think that shit's hilarious. But you know I signed it, thanks, sweet cheeks, and you know signed it and. Um, but he was good. He was a good laugh. But man, for that brief moment, I thought I hit him in the head. And it's just, it's the worst thing. It is literally the worst thing. You, you, you look sick. Like, I was yeah. like, and, and the way, because the way we saw it on TV, we I thought you hit him in the head. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's rough. And then yeah. you see the replay, and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I was like, what yeah, have you no, just I, done? You've just made the made a guy did he yeah. shit himself. Like, but after after seeing the replay and everything, and like how he handled it, like, it was really funny. Yeah. Like, it was really, really, really class. So, I mean, kudos to him. 
No, so. good. I thought we'd end on a positive note because there's been some serious discussions in there. And um, look, Pete, thanks for your time again, as ever. Um, yeah, you cool. know, you're you're very candid. Uh, we have conversations uh, every now and then, like you know, just to just to sort of catch up. And I'm always invested mm-hmm. in what you do. And um, most importantly for me, I just want it to work out for you. Like I, you know, do I have my concerns? I did uh, after seeing week mm-hmm. one. I don't because I'm, I'm sure it's all gone as expected. So uh, I think it's going to get better. Portland's going to be a better field. Uh, and let's see what this conversation is like in a year's time, because I think people, I don't think people are going to change their minds because people are just going to have that same opinion. But I think people have to sort of, I don't know, just reserve, reservation what they're saying about the quality of products and tour and things like mm-hmm. that, because I think that's going to change quickly. Yeah, no, but I, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the support. It doesn't, doesn't go unnoticed. And obviously it's tough on, you know, they, you know, these kind of decisions and, you know, you get so much scrutiny and media scrutiny and all that stuff. So the, the support doesn't go unnoticed. So we, you know, we really appreciate it. Chelsea says hi. And, uh, you know, thanks again. No worries, buddy.